0: Hello, fellow innovators, this is Patrick Emmons, and this is Shelley Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations.
1: Today, we're welcoming Edward Wagner to the show. In his current role, Ed serves as the Chief Information Officer Digital at JLL. Ed's industry experience includes 15 years as JLL's global CIO, overseeing its corporate occupier technology platform. He also serves as a tech evangelist for the industry, challenging and inspiring thinking on the intersection of the digital and physical workplace to help the broader CRE industry make the most of their transformations. Ed holds a bachelor's degree in accounting from Bob Jones University and is based in Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the show, Ed.
2: Thanks, Shelly. Thanks, Patrick. And, and you know, Shelly, if I could get you to go with me and do those introductions
0: everywhere, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for making me sound smart. Sign me up. It's what we do. It's all about being the wingman here. Love it. Looking out for everybody else. So, It is great to have you on the show. And if you don't mind, you know, I know most people who work downtown Chicago know who JLL is and and what they do and how they provide uh, value to the business community downtown. But if you don't mind, share with our listeners a little bit about your role at JLL and exactly JLL how they're going to grow and what what is their perspective. What's your perspective of what's going to happen in the next you know three to five years?
2: Sure. And I think, you know, let's uh, maybe start with some basics. GLL is a Fortune 200 and a a world leader in real estate services. And and when we say that, that means we buy, we build, we occupy, we invest. So we do the full scale. And it's not just commercial office buildings. Most people think about us like big office towers, but it's industrial, commercial, retail, residential, like multifamily and, and hotels. And, and our clients can range from tech startups to some big global firms, it goes across industries like banking, energy, healthcare, law, life sciences, manufacturing technology. Basically, if you look outside your window, any building you see that's not a single family home, we can provide services to it and we can give you a better experience using data and technology. And I think that's a key factor. By the way, speaking of data and technology, you probably don't think of real estate or me as being a leader in tech and data. And we didn't think that way for decades either until we set a goal several years ago, pre-pandemic, that we were going to be the industry leader in tech and data. And we've made those investments, both in technology and and talent. So you asked me a little bit about my role. If, If I compare what JLL has done with its technology group to other organizations. We've got some things like everybody else in the world has, and we've got some things that I think that are different. So let me start with what's the same. We've got what we call our foundational pillar. And and I I use the word foundation because you can't do the things you need to do in technology without these foundational items. So whether that's cybersecurity, your project management, how you run your data center, just those, those basic foundational functions that everyone has, we have that too in foundation. We also have core technologies that help run our business and the business of our clients. So just as when you go and buy goods and services from a company and you expect them to provide the technology to deliver that, we have the technology when a client comes and says, hey, help us with our real estate services. Where we are different from most in the industry and probably most non-technology companies are the next three areas. So we've actually made a massive investment in data, and we've brought in Silicon Valley talent to help us with data. I think for years, data was a function under me that the technologists, we we were running it almost on the side of the desk. I don't have experience with data. Data scientists, that's a different discipline. That's a different strength than a technologist and so we recognized that and with the flood of data especially from some of the investments we've made IoT the idms systems out there we realized we need those data scientists to help us think differently and they do the other thing that we created we call it the revenue pillar but when we bought two work order system companies we bought two technology consulting companies that made us the undisputed leader in IWMS advisory implementation and, and management and that's not just me saying it. there's there's independent industry rankings and research firms that name that. We bought two AI companies. Mm. Notice I didn't say AI software. I said the actual companies. And so that's enabled us to service 80% of the marketplace that doesn't outsource its real estate. But they have real technology needs and not the technology expertise. So that's that's something brand new of the last couple of years that's been game changing for us and for the industry. And then last, how many people have had their board of directors say, "Here's one hundred million dollars, go play in prop tech." Now they didn't actually say it that way, but they said, "Let's go invest in some prop tech companies because there's so much emerging capability and new things coming on the market." And rather than us trying to build it. Let's see if we can get in on the front end of it and help those companies understand real estate, help them understand our clients. But also we get to take advantage of some of those new technologies and there's a fairly big success story there. So that's a a lot of information. But I would say if you're not in real estate, we might be the $19 billion revenue company that you don't usually think about, but maybe you should because we actually impact your life every day in more ways than you realize. And I'll close with this. You asked me about my role. You've just seen it in action. I, I'm leveraging 36 years in the industry, 26 years of experience at JLL, having seen a who's who of organizations and, and their real estate operations to evangelize. I love Shelly, use the, the tech evangelist. I, I like that word. Trying to be thought provoking at that intersection of the physical world and the digital world because you can't have one without the other. And to be successful in the future, people are going to need one foot in each, one foot in the physical world and one foot in the digital world to make sure we're delivering the workplaces that people expect.
0: That is a lot for what I think a lot of people would not understand or appreciate how much is going on. But it is a really important time where we're at a very important time for how the future of, like you mentioned, not just office space, but all of the various places that we go, you know, I think in our previous conversation, you mentioned that you're you're top two, top one global provider right now. So you could have a very unique perspective on how people work, where they work, what they're going to be doing in a global perspective and not just white collar, but like as you mentioned, blue collar manufacturing, all of those types of things. I know you also have a big interest in improving the carbon impact of the different buildings that you're operating. Do you want to tell us more about that?
2: I typically tell people when I do public presentations that it really doesn't matter what you believe about sustainability and, and carbon impact. The reality is you're going to deal with it, especially with the reporting requirements that are coming out, coupled with younger talent is expecting people to deliver value to the world, to take better care of the world. So you've got that double whammy of mandated reporting and talent demand. So you're going to have to focus on it. I did a presentation in uh, Silicon Valley, and I asked the CEOs in attendance the, the, the top industries that they felt contributed to, to carbon, and I got utilities and transportation. And I think we see a lot of that in media, but believe it or not, the built environment has a a bigger impact on carbon than those other two industries. Now, it's not that I want to be first, we want to be better. And it's that recognition that we have a big part to play. We believe we have an ethical responsibility to create a better world through the way that we operate buildings, the way that we use technology to deliver that. And so we're making major investments. I, I talked earlier about all the pillars and acquisitions that we did. Some of that major investment is actually going into sustainability, whether it's, giving give you an example, I mentioned the, the Spark Investment Fund. We bought into a company called Turntide that makes motors. Why would a real estate company make an investment in a new motor company? Well, motor technology hasn't really changed in over 100 years, and Turntide created a a new motor that's much more energy efficient, that can give us data. It's it's got more technology to it. And when you look at a building, it's full of motors, whether it's the HVA system or or others. So there's massive opportunities to retrofit those those motors in those buildings and gain some efficiencies. It'll be probably, you know, if you look at the list of uh, famous tech innovators, people like Bill Gates and others are on that, and I'm not. Yet JLL invested in Turntide before Mr. Gates did. We beat him. He later made an investment. So so that's an example of sustainability. But if we also think about every company needing to do reporting, especially with with some of the uh, requirements that we're seeing in front of Congress right now and the demand from shareholders and investors, understanding your office portfolio and the impact to the environment will become a key part of your reporting requirements in the not too distant future should those regulations pass. So again, opportunities around data that I mentioned earlier, as well as, as the reporting and then the efforts that people will need to take to, to be more sustainable in practice. And by the way, it's not just the buildings that impacts every human on the face of the earth, the built environment and the impact to climate impacts all of us as human beings. And so if we want to have a healthier, more sustainable world, It's something that we need to do for the people, not just the buildings, but for the people, because the people are the most important aspect.
1: So, Ed, I was going to ask about the Silicon Valley talent that you mentioned earlier, but based on everything you just shared, I imagine that's much of the reason that you're getting the best of the best because of the impact you have on the world.
2: You know, it it is, and it's... um, I wish I could say it was my idea to bring in the Silicon Valley people. I will confess that when we first started talking about that, I was very threatened because, you know, we had, at that point, it was almost two decades. You know, we had built this, you know, IT group that had won a lot of industry awards. We had a lot of firsts and now people were saying that was great in the past, but we've got to change for the future. And so I actually had to go through a bit of a a personal and professional transformation. And I'm not going to lie, none of it would have happened had it been just up to me because I was threatened by it. But I will tell you coming on the other side of it, it is one of the most impactful things that we've done. We talk a lot about diversity and diversity is very important, but we so often think about, you know, gender and sexual orientation and ethnicity and, and all of that's important, but also different experiences, different backgrounds, different ways of thinking. And so if you're in a traditional IT group, you probably don't realize how much you've done wrong until somebody from Silicon Valley comes in and and shows you a different way to do that. And I say that half joking, but if you're not a technology company. You don't have the background and experience of what it takes to bring technology products to market the right way. And so that has been game changing for us. And it's a part of what we needed to do to achieve our goal of being, you know, leading in the industry, leading our clients to to create a better world through the use of data and technology in a space that you guys have never thought of first from a technology perspective, which
0: is traditional real estate. I think you bring up a great point because historically, Chicago has a lot of very successful organizations that are not software first, right? Technology in different ways, right? But that whole concept of being a digital software first type of organization, I think there's been a change over the last five to six, seven years where the relevance of a CTO, somebody who's really a technical technology leader in an organization becoming more obvious versus like a CIO, right? So from your perspective, bringing in people who come from these more born digital organizations, right, they had a great impact on your thinking, your capacity. Are you seeing that change in Chicago? Because I think there was not just you, but other people thinking like, hey, you know, we don't need these people here. We don't need to change the business that much. Are you seeing more organizations? Because I'm seeing more organizations starting to understand they have to have a digital product more so than ever before. And I know we all think COVID had a big hand to play with that, but I think that may have just accelerated what was already becoming obvious to others. You
2: know, it was, I, I as you mentioned, Chicago, I was thinking, and obviously you can tell by my accent, I'm not native to Chicago, love the city. Um, Moved here 17 years ago and just adore Chicago. Still getting used to the winter, but maybe one day. There's a tremendous CIO community here in Chicago, and I would encourage anyone who is in technology for a career, if you're not engaged with one of those communities, you really should be because there's so much you can learn and and people are really willing to share. You know, I, I think there's a couple of challenges that, you know, there's a lot that you a lot of meat in what you said, Patrick. I, I think if I think historically there was one IT leader and we were expected to do everything. Mm-hmm. And if you look at how technology has penetrated virtually every aspect of our life, you know, there, there's different strengths, whether it's you know, cybersecurity, that's a unique specialized strength that we need more than ever. And things are changing by the day. Operations, you know, keeping the the foundation running and and cloud, that's a different strength. Doing what I do right now, which is more like visionary or thought-provoking or talking to business leaders, that's a different strength. I I have that strength and I don't have some of those others. So I think one thing that I'm seeing in in the communities is how do we take some roles that CIOs have that are actually three or four full-time jobs and expand our teams to get the right people with the right strength? to handle this, the, the, these multiple areas that our companies and our clients need us to uh, have capabilities in. The other thing, COVID did accelerate a lot. I, I was just talking to JLL's head of, of corporate real estate um, before uh, we talked. And we were, we were chatting about how, had we told the world that you're all going to go remote work, you're all going to enable it we would have been laughed out of most rooms because there were a lot of companies that weren't remote or they didn't have the policies or it was a limited number of people. So COVID put our backs against the wall and people did things that they had never planned or they never thought they would do. But one thing that, I, that I'm finding is when people say, well, we're back to the office, what I hear is, well, we're back to 2019 or 2018. They're going back to the same offices that they had, that they had built out you know, years before They've not incorporated any of the lessons that they've learned. They've not brought in any of the new technology capabilities. The, the ability for us to see each other, like we saw with the Zoom, where I can get your you know, your nonverbal feedback and I can, I can see multiple people. When we go back into those conference rooms where some people are remote, it's a different experience. It's creating a sense of some people belong and some people don't. It's frustrating people. And so I think that's where the opportunity is not just in the CIO role, but also in real estate and with HR and with the CFO to rethink our workplaces, because the talent is really demanding this different way of thinking, this different way of working. And I think that's the challenge that everyone in every C-suite role in every company is going to be dealing with for the next couple of months
0: and potentially years. Mm -hmm. Yeah are there any things you're seeing that certain organizations are, are succeeding with, you know, and and to your point of like the consistency of everybody on zoom versus the hybrid of some on zoom, some people, people feeling left out, you know, there's experience technology and rooms that still aren't really seamless. And like, you can't like walk right in. And like, I personally did the other day where you walk in and like, I got, I got to spend 15 minutes to set up, conference room, right? Where it's like, okay, that's a big enough barrier for me to say, I'm just going to work at my desk. Is there other things that you're seeing that, that are people are successful with?
2: It's, um, you know, again, JLL, I'm a CIO. One of my first meetings back in the office, we had a major client fly in. I went to the office. I had a chief engineer with me. So we've got a building engineer and a technical person. And I didn't realize my team had switched out the video conferencing in that room. And you should have seen this chief engineer and me futzing with the cables trying to figure out what right in front of the client. Now, if you think about returning, especially in a hybrid where maybe I'm not there every day, maybe I choose a day to come in and things have changed or switched, it's going to create frustration if we don't figure out a way to give people the better experience. And, And I always use Amazon as an example. Think about the Amazon app. When you go to it, They sell for a variety of people. You may not even look and notice that Walmart, a big competitor, sells product on Amazon. Amazon figures out how to get Walmart to sell you that product, deliver you that product. They take care of the financials. I can actually, right now, as we're talking, I'm tracking a Walmart shipment. I'm in Walmart, an Amazon shipment that I'm excited to get. They're they're giving this delightful, wonderful, end-to-end integrated experience. They're taking care of all of it for me. So you know the technology exists, but when you go into the office, we don't have this end-to-end good experience, and we're not thinking about the person that's coming into the office. We're thinking about it from a corporate perspective, and I think that's probably one of the big things that I'm seeing for people who get it right, before they start doing corporate policies, they're asking people what they need. Now, we can't make everybody happy. I was talking to a CIO the other day that has 400,000 employees in his organization. And he said in a public meeting, they were surveying all 400,000 to see what they wanted from the workplace. And someone said, well, you can't make all 400,000 people happy. And he said, we're not trying to make everybody happy, but we think we'll have some learnings where we can do some things differently that will have an impact on the majority. MIT, we work with them from their Center for um, Real Estate Innovation, and their leader made a comment that the area of data science around human experience in the workplace is virtually non-existent. You know, we need to do more data science around that, hence the reason that, that I mentioned our commitment and, and investment in, in data scientists. But the people that are getting it right, right now, are trying to figure out what their people expect and what they need. And by the way, Patrick, what I need today is going to be different from what you need today. And it may be different tomorrow. And so I think the mistake a lot of people are making is coming up with a hybrid strategy for the corporation without thinking about Eddie's hybrid strategy may be different from Patrick's hybrid strategy. And that's okay. We can figure out how to make those coexist or you know, how can we communicate that you're going to be in the office tomorrow should I choose to be in the office tomorrow. And you know, we can go get that hot dog together that we keep
0: saying we're going to go get. <laughs> I don't think we would go for lunch for the hot dog, but you know what I'm saying? That's an interesting concept. Uh, the idea that, because like, I think about agile teams, I think about, when I think about productivity, I, I think about it at the individual team level, right? How do we empower teams to maximize what makes them powerful, right? And to your point, location, facilities, that was always kind of a, a non-negotiable. It wasn't something you could put into that equation of like well how do we make the the terrain we operate in customized to maximize who we are and what we do and how we do it so that's a very interesting concept from having different cards to play for like how do we maximize our team and we're going to we're going to have different modalities that as opposed to before it was like well here's your this is your one way to do it this is how we do it at this company so getting even more. Cause I, I do think one of the the concepts of freedom is really the, the thing that unlocks creativity, unlocks capacity and having the freedom to pick the way that you work together and from that kind of, I think that freedom is, is going to be a pretty powerful opportunity for successful organizations of like, Hey, we're going to use technology or our, our facilities or how our team, right. Cause we're more global than we've ever been before, right? So it's really, we're going to have to find a way to, to leverage the human component of human touch and closeness and technology and interactions and you know that whole experiential thing of whiteboards that seems to have so much value for a lot of people. And I think that's just, they don't know really how to verbalize it other than that creative milieu of like being in the same room together.
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I was thinking as you were saying all of that, two CIOs recently told me something interesting. One said, "Do you know what I want from a company? Do you know what I need in the office? Do you know what it would take to attract me to your company? And I said, no. And she said, "That's because you don't ask me. Mm-hmm. Ask me what it would take to get me to come to your company. I thought, wow, you know, we 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 don't often ask people it's always history. the manager will tell you, here's what it is to work. But the Gen Z that's coming up is wanting to have more of a conversation. They're not wanting to just have this top-down edict. As you know, when I started my career, it was do what the boss tells you in 40 years. It's more of a value transaction. And that was something the other CIO said, some of us, you know, I mentioned I've been in the industry for 36 years been at JLL for 26 years. There's, there's some loyalty there. And this CIO said the loyalty that you have, the younger generation is looking more at a value transaction that they know that the company may cut them loose. If they hit hard times, they also know that they may choose to go somewhere else. So it's, what are you going to do for me? What value are you going to give me while I'm here? And what value can I give you while I'm here? It's a transaction. And at first, I thought, wow, that's really bad. But then I thought, you know, the conversation there is so different. What value are we trying to achieve as a company? Let me tell you that. And then let's talk about the value that you can deliver to us. And so I think those are some of the things that, as we think about not just attracting talent, but also, you know, that applies to the workplace. Here's what we're trying to achieve here. Here's when we need collaboration or or training. Now let's talk about. The way that you like to work, and how do we play to your strengths, and you know how do we have you contribute to the team? And I think there's some tremendous power in that, where you get everyone involved, figuring out how they can play to their strengths and how they can contribute value to their different teams. Now, there's a lot of work in that, but that's also where you start seeing a lot of the value pop out when you make the investment.
0: I, I think it's a spot-on point around one. It, the value transference, right? And I think about this, uh, even with my organization of like, look, we've got to create value for our customers, right? And then we've got to retain value as a company, right? So we've got to be able to make enough value for our clients that we can retain value for ourselves. And that continues into other stakeholders of our employees have to have value that comes out of it. That's right. And if we can have a confluence of value of those three stakeholders of everybody's getting value out of this transaction equation, right? Then there's, there's everybody wins, right? The concept that like for you to, for me to win, you have to lose is just, it's a a terrible business strategy, right? That's right. Uh, But to that point of like, and I know you use the word transaction. I think transaction has, it's going to get a negative connotation of like, oh, there's not, there's not emotion. There's not loyalty. There's not this, right? When transactional and it's like, But I do think, you know, somebody else I listen to uses a term like having a mission, right? Like this is the mission we're going to have you on, right? And you're going to execute on this mission. And when the mission's done, maybe there's another mission, right? But there is clarity at the beginning of like, hey, this is what we're offering. This is what we're expecting. This is what victory looks like, as opposed to, I think, too often, which is I go to work and I just keep doing the thing. I'm supposed to be doing and not really engaging in am I winning? Right. are, are we winning? Is the client winning? Is, is the company winning? Am I winning? And just get into the, the rote of doing the same thing day after day. So I really like that idea of like, hey, you know, let's create some clarity around, you know, what's what's in it for you, right? And I and I think that is actually very powerful stuff. Whatever generation, I think it's really important that we as leaders are, are creating clarity for the people who who work in our organizations of like, Hey, this is, this is what's for trade. You know, Shackelford, when he was setting up the mission to go to, you know, South, you know, Antarctica, he made it very clear, like, Hey, uh, this is very dangerous. You could possibly die, but if we're successful, you're going to be famous for the rest of your life. And that was compelling. A lot of people are like, Hey, that's a good trade. I'll take it. And uh, you know, it's a, If you're not familiar with Shackleford's uh, trip to uh, Antarctica, you should check it out because I think it is one of the most amazing cases of of pure leadership in in the face of, like, inevitable doom, right? And so it's a great story. So it's really cool. I really appreciate you coming on. I want to hit you with one last question before we wrap up, if that's okay, Ed. Sure thing. So... You know, one of the things we talked about before, and I think it's really important is, and you mentioned it here today, is, you know, over the last 20, 30 years, you've gone through a pretty interesting journey of self discovery, overcoming imposter syndrome, personal growth. And I think a lot of people that I meet, they're not aware that most successful people go through things like that, right? Heroes are not born, right? Like people who succeed weren't born that way. And we talked about this of like, I think there's some real narcissistic psychopaths out there that like don't go through that, but I think the, you know, normal people of the world who are successful and it's always amazing to me how many times I meet amazing, talented, successful people. They've been through hard things they've accomplished so much and they still have that imposter syndrome. And it, and I just, I love to talk about it more because I really think it's, it's a powerful realization for people to understand you're not alone right that's right so uh, tell us a little bit more about your journey
2: and maybe the best place is to start at the the beginning a little bit and shelly referenced a little bit of this in in the opening i have a very conservative upbringing i was brought up in an arch conservative religion i went into one of the most conservative industries you know when i started in real estate it was the domain of white straight men I, I'm LGBT and I knew that from a very early age. So the messages that I got from a very early age was not only you don't fit in, but I was an abomination. I, you know, the, the unpardonable sin. So that's a lot of baggage for a kid to carry with them. But, you know, I pushed it to the back of my mind. And, and what I found is as I had more success, and by the way, I came out in the nineties to JLL and they have been, Nothing but supportive. If anything, I am where I am because there were people that surrounded me and lifted me up and enabled me when I doubted myself the most. But I I mentioned earlier about being threatened by Silicon Valley people coming in and whatnot. And it was right when we knew we were going to transform the company, we were going to transform technology. I had just undergone executive coaching that the firm provided. So, message number one to people if you ever get the opportunity to do that, Take your company up on it. If your company doesn't offer it, figure out a way to invest in it for yourself. That 360 feedback, if it's done right, will cut you to your soul when you see the way other people truly think about you. But if you look at it, and the global CEO actually called me the night before I got it and said, You're going to get your feedback tomorrow. And as you read through the weaknesses, Go home and cry if you need to, but the next day, put all that aside and just think about you know what you need to be better. Now, I thought he was being a little dramatic. Turns out he was right. I cried about it because I, I suddenly realized that people, they didn't like me the way that I wanted to be liked, and it wasn't they didn't like me. They were pointing out some weaknesses that I knew I had, but I thought I was hiding it from everybody. And what teased out after a year of working with the coach and some personal therapy was lack of self-worth. Well, think about what I told you from my very beginning. I mean, that kind of makes sense when you hear it, but when you live that every day, you're trying to push it aside and you know, you're know you trying to be what you think people want you to be, it has a very big impact on you. So going through personal coaching, personal transformation, working with a therapist. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. We're all talking about mental health in the workplace. There's a reason the word health is in mental health. If you want to be healthy. It's not a bad thing to have somebody to talk to that's not part of your echo chamber that can help you think differently. And so the genesis of all of this, what caused me to actually kick all that off was at a CIO industry event. I was up for an award. I was afraid of the room, but I had to be there because I was up for an award there was a CIO speaker that talked about change and he said, "You know, there's all these things that CIOs need to do to bring about change. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But he said, if you really want to bring about change that no one can argue with, if you want to lead with change, and I can remember standing in the back of the room thinking, yes, that's me. I want to lead with change. He said, do glass breaking change on yourself. That was actually a defining moment. I went back and and told the company I was stepping out of the position that I had because it was, I can't explain why I did that. I've spent months thinking, you're crazy. Why did you do that? But stepping out, and remember, I started out at the beginning saying, if you want to think out of the box, you have to get out of your box. It's probably one of the smartest things I ever did without realizing it. By the way, I lost that CEO of the year competition then. Didn't feel like I belonged. I came back and won it a couple of years later, and I mentioned to people this very journey that I've just told you. And I said, when I lost, I actually won when I lost the competition because it triggered this transformative change. And I was trying to be vulnerable and authentic because that's what I want to be. And I want to be able to tell people about that. And remember that first time I was in that room, all those CIOs intimidated the hell out of me. The numbers of people that came up to me afterwards and said, thank you for sharing. I can't tell you the number of times that I've felt the same way, or I'm so glad you said that because I feel this. And some of these are towering titans of technology, but you're right. If you ever feel alone, if you ever feel like, you know, it's overwhelming, I don't know what to do. A lot of us feel that same way. Just reach out, go to these forums, Talk but anyway, thank you for letting me share that. But there's, there's, you know, I think all of us at some point feel that way. And if you don't feel that way, you may be part of the problem because you don't see some of the challenges, the issues that all humans deal with.
1: Wow. Ed, thank you for your courage. I think our listeners are really going to appreciate that on every level. So thank you.
2: Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Yeah. And I think you touched on a really important issue of like, that And that's, I think, what really impressed me in, in getting to know you is how genuine and honest and open and, and aware you are about who you are, what you are, what you want, uh, where you're going to be successful. And I, and I think a lot of people suffer from, you know, there's, it's, and it's not their fault that you're surrounded in a world sometimes with people who have been taught to, to not be open, to not be aware, to not be genuine right like you you're supposed to hide it you're supposed to put the shield on every day put the armor on and protect yourself and and i can only imagine how excited everybody in your group is that like look this is this is who leads this group right we start brave right at the beginning right we lead with our hearts chest out let's go take some hits we're all going to get through this together it's got to be amazingly exciting for everybody to know that that they can go to work and be their true honest self every day as opposed to i've got to worry and it, you know what kills me is it's always a small group of people that seem to create the insecurities for the majority that get them to put the armor on every day right it's always a little handful of like people who are happy to to stab you if you're if you're just out there being brave for just a minute and i honestly with my organization and and it's one of my focuses is to make sure that like we keep those people out, right? And that, uh, you know, hopefully they find the help that they need. They get some honesty to themselves about like, hey, I, I really should change how I operate with the world. But uh, I just wanted to say thank you so much, because I, I, I understand. And I think this is part of the challenge. Is leaders are, are expected to act like they're made of rock. And it, it just seems to be seems to me a very dim way to try and lead other people, right? Because connection, humans, like that's what we need. We all need it.
2: People people are important. And I
0: would say, you
2: know, we've all dealt with that person that's overwhelming and oppressive. My experience is those are the people that sometimes are suffering the most and that's their way of protecting. Totally. And by the way, there's probably been times in my life where I was that person trying to protect myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned the team, a number of team members came up to me afterwards and saying, Oh, thank God. Thank God. You finally came to this recognition. We've been seeing it for, for years, people around you see it. Even if you're trying to hide it, they just, you know, it's a hard conversation to have at work until someone's ready to have the conversation. And then to that last piece about we're taught to put on the armor and hide it. A lot of people have said, you know, be careful you're being too authentic. Somebody can use that against you. You know what? If somebody were to try to use that, first of all, I've taken the power back. But if somebody really wants to go head to head with me and use that against me, if they're with a company that I'm with or a client, then I don't want to work with them. Right. Life's too short. And if we're talking about enabling people to be their best and to bring their best to work, that means taking people with all their authenticity and vulnerabilities and humanity and recognizing the diversity and helping everyone feel like they can belong and they
0: can contribute in their best way and with their best strength. It's awesome. It's an inspiration. I know why you've been a successful leader for three decades. And I, I get it. We were all not great bosses at one point in time, right? But uh, we're all on a journey for improvement, right? And there's, that's I hope it, it, if anybody's listening in there, you know, hopefully there's a couple of people out there like have the question, like, am I the jerk? Right. <laughs> like, am I to your point? I'm like, should I ask people? Am I the jerk? Right. And you know, and, and that might lead to some clarity. Right.
2: We can all be at times if, for me, if I get hungry or angry or lonely or tired, <laughs> they can't, you know, the team will say it's time for him to eat. My partner will say that you need to eat before you get hangry. Uh, You know, just knowing that, being able to have those conversations, but, you know, to bring it back to what we talked about around workplace, you know, creating spaces where people can be their authentic selves. And I will tell you right now, buildings aren't important. It's the people that use them and that occupy them. And if we're expecting clients and those around us to create those experiences where people can be their authentic selves, then we need to lead by that example. So I would encourage people, you know, reach out, ask your folks what they need, what they're looking for. Encourage that authenticity and vulnerability and you'll be amazed at what the team can do for you when they feel like I'm bringing value and I'm getting this value in return
0: for what I'm doing and I'm having an impact on the world. It's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Ed, thank you so much for being on today and sharing not only uh, your experiences, but also your personal journey. It's tremendous. It is an inspiration. I think it's this is one of my favorite episodes, and I really appreciate you being on today.
1: Yeah, thank you, Ed.
2: Thank you, Patrick and Shelly, and uh, thank you for letting me share. And uh, if anyone would uh, like to discuss workplace or debate the topic, I'm not always right. I just always have an opinion. I would love the engagement and the authenticity from others because encouraging me to think differently is how I can make sure that I help uh, clients and prospective clients be better.
0: So I I really welcome uh, that conversation. Awesome. We also want to thank our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us. And if
1: you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This episode was sponsored by Dragonspears and produced by Dante32.